You know, when you think about the name Jesus, in English we say Jesus, it comes from a Greek Latin term, but then in Hebrew it's Yeshua, which comes from the root word for Joshua, which means Messiah, Savior. And so when we're calling out his name, we're also calling out the fact that he is our Christ. He is our Savior. He is the anointed one. And I love that the Bible says that at his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. And so, you know, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not like just a little tag on at the end of the prayer. Uh, like we just say amen, like in Jesus' name, amen. No, we're actually coming to God, the Father, in his name, in Jesus' name, which, which means we're evoking the relationship that we have with Jesus, and then the Father sees our relationship with Jesus, and he hears us as though we were actually Jesus. That's why he is interceding for us on our behalf. And so when we call out his name, we are literally calling out to the one who created everything, from whom and by whom and for whom all things were created. And so before we jump into the message today, and we wanna just continue in this kind of really solemn, amazing time of worship, and just take a second to call on his name. Take a moment to pray, because I know for all of us, we all have something going on. Maybe a lot of you lost your job. Um, maybe you've had the virus, or you've been sick, or you've had other health challenges. Um, I know several people in our church and in our communities have. Or maybe just the stress of homeschooling and trying to still work and you know, when you put your family together in a house for seven straight weeks, it may not lead to some of the best relationships. And so there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of just everything is amplified. And so it's like whatever was going on before this, now it's just greater, it's just amplified. And so I, I just felt really, and it'll tie into the message and make sense later, but I just felt really impressed by the Holy Spirit to just take a moment before we jump into the word today and pray to call out the name of Jesus. So right there where you are, if you're in your living room or in your car or wherever it is, just wanna invite you to maybe get in a posture of prayer. Maybe you wanna get on your knees. If you're sitting down, you know, maybe just wanna open up your hands as a way to receive. Also as a way to acknowledge that you have needs, that there are things in your life that you really need God to come through in. And so, I just want you to acknowledge that and kind of position yourself for that. And then obviously, I don't know all those specific needs that you are dealing with or going through, but the Holy Spirit does. And so even though we're not gathered together in person, we are gathered together online and the power of the Holy Spirit, even coming through technology can bind us together and we can call on the name of Jesus together. And so would you pray with me as we do that? Father, we acknowledge that you are God, that you are the one that is above everything. You have always existed. We want to hallow your name. We want to lift up your name. That is the first request. Because when we do that, when we 
lift up your name, we're acknowledging the fact that you are worthy and that we are needy, that we have needs. And so we are coming to you recognizing that you are the one who has the power and ability to meet those needs. And we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, because we know we have no righteousness on our own. It is only because of him. And God, thank you for the promise that he is at your right hand right now, interceding for us in the Holy Spirit right now, according to Romans 8, is taking our prayers and speaking them to him who's interceding to you. And so God, we see the Trinity at work in our prayers. And it's amazing to know that your spirit if we are in Christ, is in us. And sometimes, God, we don't even know what to pray for. We just groan. But even then, the Holy Spirit knows how to translate for us to you. And so, God, we just recognize the fact that we are needy. And there's so many in our church, in our community, in our world. Whether it's poverty, whether it's job loss, whether it's anxiety, whether it's just stress in marriage and relationships, whether it's trying to raise kids or put food on the table. Um, God, moments like this remind us that we're not in control. And so God, we humble ourselves before you and whatever the specific needs are today of all of us in the church or that are watching or listening, just pray, God, that you would meet those needs, that you would come through in miraculous ways. But more than anything, God, let them know that you're with them. That your presence is with them and will go with them. And so no matter what they're walking through, Father, to know that they're not alone. And that you are working this, even this, for their good. So would you do that today? God, we acknowledge again that you're worthy, we're needy. And coming in the name of Jesus, we recognize that it is his name that only gives us the access and it's his name that we want glorified above everything else. And so more than anything, God, that's what we ask. Not only that you would meet our needs, but that you would use our lives to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I'm always uh, used to saying you, you could have a seat or sit down, but you're probably already sitting down, especially since we were just praying there. But man, it's so good to be together again on Sunday, you know, praying together, worshiping together, uh, having services together. Uh, you know, we don't know when we're going to gather together online uh, or gather together in person together again. We're not sure. We're working through a plan for that. But right now, obviously, we're going to continue online. Make sure you stay up with us, uh, whether it's through our website or social media, whatever it is, because we put out updates uh, quite often, we'll put, be putting out another update this week, just kind of telling you our plan going forward because we're kind of working through that now. What does that look like? You know, now that we've got some options that our our state has given us and our country has given us, and so really praying through that and what that looks like. So we'll be communicating that stuff to you in the next coming weeks again because we want you to be informed. We want you to know uh, how we're going to just continue to move forward. But obviously, for right now, it's still online. So make sure you're staying staying connected with us uh, about all of that. And then next weekend is Mother's Day. 
especially for all you guys out there. Uh, if you forgot, it is Mother's Day, all right? And yes, it does count for your wife, all right? If your wife is a mother, then you still have to celebrate Mother's Day, even though she may not be your mama, all right? She's your baby's mama's, all right? And so, or mama. And so you better make sure you take care of her. So that's next weekend. And we got some fun stuff, some good stuff planned for this next week. So make sure you're staying connected with us in that as well. We can't wait to come together and celebrate Mother's, Mother's Day weekend next weekend. Again, I know it's going to be a completely different weekend than what we would normally have as a service in your families, but it's still a great time to celebrate moms. And so make sure you do that. Make sure you are with us next Sunday as well. But today we're going to continue in our We Believe series. We've been talking for the last several weeks about this campaign that we're doing coming out of Easter, because really Easter is the pivotal moment in the life of our faith, because that story of Jesus, you know, going to the cross, dying, being buried, and raising again is really the, the linchpin. If that's not true, then we're done. We have no hope. But if that's true, we have all the hope in the world. And so that is the foundation of our belief system. And so we've been doing this series coming out of Easter because I really want to encourage all of us as a church to know what our beliefs are. And it's been based primarily in one text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, where the Apostle Paul says, We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead also with him. And so we've been really challenging our church to write out your belief statements. And again, you guys have been doing that. Continue to you know, post those up on social media, tag us with that, because we want to know what those are. We want you to speak what those statements are, what those belief statements are. And it's been great to see that. Again, uh, that's what we talked about last weekend, because not only is it so important for us to believe it, but for us to speak those statements, because there is a world out there that needs to know the truth about who Jesus is, particularly during this time. Because that is the source of our hope. And so we want you to continue to not only work out your own beliefs, but then share those so that you can share the hope that you have. And this week, we're going to continue in this same series, we believe. But now we're going to go back to the book of Acts, which I talked about on Easter. And we looked in chapter 2 of Acts. And now we're going to back up and look at chapter 1 and then the first part of chapter 2 to look at what, helped, what led to the sermon that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. And, and when we talk about this whole we believe and us you know, speaking what we believe, we need to understand that all of that, the impact of that only happens as we become a people of prayer. And so I want to talk today in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, the importance of prayer. In fact, the title of my message today is Devoting Themselves to Prayer. And we'll talk about some specific ways that we're going to do that. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. Again, Acts chapter 1. It's right after the Gospels. And so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you got Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, we're going to see what the early apostles did, which led to the miracle that we see, that we see in Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 6. It says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, him being Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Let's, let's stop and chat there for a second. I think it's really important to understand, you know, when we look back and read the scriptures that the early disciples were following Jesus. You know, they followed Jesus for three years, the vast majority of them, before he went to the cross. And all along, you see Jesus discipling them. You see him bringing them along. And there were so many times where we look back on it and, they, and we think, 
How did you miss that? How did you not see that? How did you not understand that? But we're looking back through the lens of history and we can forget that they didn't know he was going to do all the things that he did. And so as they're kind of walking along with him, we can kind of judge them sometimes. It's like, well, you didn't know that you didn't see that. But I think it's important for us to understand that, that as we walk with Jesus, that's how it is. Even though we now have history to see all the things that God did. But when we're walking with Jesus, things can be very confusing. There can be things that we don't have answers to questions to. And I think it's important for us to look at the apostles and really feel normal about ourselves that they didn't understand it all either, just like we don't. And I love their question here because it's an honest question. It's an honest question. They asked Jesus straight up, hey, Jesus, now is it the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, the reason why that's an honest question is because you need to know historically in the life of Israel, God had led them into the promised land. That was their home. They built the temple. Solomon built the temple and that was, that was their land. That was the place where God led them. But because of their disobedience, they got captured, right? They got exiled. And so they've been in this period for hundreds of years where they are now having to submit to other governments, other groups of people over them. And they really want to go back to what it was like before. They, they wanted to go back to a time where the kingdom in their mind belonged to Israel. And so they asked very naturally, very honestly, hey, Jesus, is this a time you're going to restore? Which I think is a very important question right now in the season of our life as well. The word restore means this, bring back into original existence, use, or function. You know, a lot of us are asking questions right now, when are things going to go back to normal? And that's really the question that the Israelites, that these early disciples were asking, because remember, they're Jewish people, and they believe in Jesus. Jesus is their Messiah, but they wanted Jesus to restore Israel to its glory. And so they're saying, Jesus, when are we going to get back? There? When are you going to do that? When are you going to take us back there? And Jesus's answer, if we're honest, again, is a frustrating answer. It's like when a, ch a child, and I'm, you probably remember this when you were a kid and those of you who are watching, that our children understand this frustration. When you ask your parents a question of like, hey, how long do I have to sit and time out? Or how long until we get there? Or are we there yet, right? We ask these questions, they're honest questions, because whatever season we're in, we want out of it. And Jesus responds back with an answer that a lot of times, just like when our parents respond back, we don't like it. You know, the thing I hated the most is when my dad said, because I said so. Why are we doing this, dad? Why do I have to do that? Because I said so. And again, you know, my dad, I've talked about him a lot. He's a big dude. And when he said so, I didn't argue. But I didn't get an explanation that I wanted. It was just like, he has the authority to say that I need to do this. He doesn't have to give me an explanation. And that's how Jesus responds. And again, it's, it can be frustrating if we're honest because we're saying, hey, Jesus, in this season, this pandemic that we've been in for the last couple months, when are we going to get back? When are things going to get back to normal? When are our kids going to go back to school? When am I going to get a job again? When can I not shelter in place? When is all this going to happen? And we can really kind of run ourselves ragged, try, ragged trying to answer that question. But Jesus very clearly says this to them, and I think he would say to us, listen, that's not for you to know. 
That's not for you to know the times and the seasons. What's interesting, those two words, I referenced this at the beginning of this pandemic. You can go back and watch that sermon. I talked about the difference between minutes and moments. But these two words are the two Greek words that I discussed then that Jesus uses now. The word chronos, which is dates or chronology, and kairos, which is moments or season. So Jesus says, listen, it's not for you to know the dates or times or the season. It's not for you to know where this is on the, you know, on the calendar, where it lines up with the end times and all that kind of stuff, or what season this is. Honestly, Jesus says, that doesn't matter. Why? Because look at how he said, or what he says next. Very famous verse, Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Two words I want to point out here. First one, but is a conjunction. And it's a contradicting conjunction or a contrasting conjunction. And what that means is Jesus is contrasting their question with another, with another statement. He's saying, I don't want you to think about that. I want you to think about this. And so he's contrasting the question that they were asking to something else he wants them to focus on. So this conjunction is important. It's a big word. It says, but, even though you don't know the times, you don't know the season, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this one's called a connecting conjunction. He's not trying to contrast what he said before. He's trying to connect it to what he said before. And this he's saying, and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is what's so important that he was trying to get his disciples to understand then, and he's still trying to get his disciples to understand now. Listen, it doesn't matter what the season or the time or where you're at in the calendar or what's going on around you. What matters is you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses. That's all that matters. It honestly doesn't matter what season we're in, what decade we're in, what era we're in. It really doesn't matter. Every human being throughout all history, whatever the season was, whatever was going on during that time, really should have one mission, and that is to see power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses on behalf of Jesus. That's the point. And that's what we were talking about last week. And so Jesus refocuses their mind and says, listen, don't try to figure out the seasons or time. This is why when people ask me about the end times and all this kind of stuff and numerology and when all this is going to happen, I don't get too caught up in all that stuff because here's the thing. I don't really need to know if that's happening tomorrow or if it's happening next week. It doesn't change my mission. Doesn't matter if it's happening three years from now or 30 years from now. My mission's still the same. My focus every day is still the same, to wake up in the power of the Holy Spirit and be his witness. That's all that matters. And then a crazy thing happens. Look at the next couple of verses. Verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, I love this question. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this is what's called the ascension. They're on the Mount of Olives, and I'll point this out in just a second because that's significant. And so Jesus gives them the last, like, here's your mission. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to receive power. That's what you need to be worried about. Don't worry about the season or the times. And then he goes up into heaven. Can you imagine seeing that? I mean, just picture the disciples. They are there. He 
goes up into heaven. I mean, I would be pretty stunned at that, that sight. And they're just kind of standing there. And again, that's, forgive me here. I'm not trying to be sacred. They're just kind of standing there going, I mean, just picture this moment, right? I mean, just imagine Jesus is talking to you. You've already seen him come back from the dead. He's been with you for 40 days. Now he floats up into heaven. I mean, I can only imagine that moment and the disciples are like, and, and if we're honest, like if that were me, I probably would have, would have just hung out there for the rest of my life, right? I mean, I, it, you just picture that moment and they're just kind of just like, what just happened? I mean, he, he just like, he's gone. And then two men show up, white robes. And I love the, I love the Bible says that their gaze was fixed into heaven. That word, their gaze is the Greek word attention, where we get our English word attention. So their attention is looking up. And the two men show up and they say, why are you looking up here? Why are you looking up here? He's going to come the same way that you just saw him left. And what I love about this, and this is why it's so important for us. Jesus told them, don't get transfixed on the seasons or the times. And now the angels are saying to them, and, and don't get stuck looking up to the sky, just kind of like gazing and like, what's going on? I can almost hear the angel saying to him or to them, he told you what to go do. Now go do it. Why are you, why are you stuck here looking up to the sky? And this is what's so important and what I want us to focus on. In fact, my point for this weekend is simply this. We don't need to be standing and looking when we need to be kneeling and praying. We don't need to get caught up in standing and looking when we need to be kneeling and praying. And you're going to see how they respond to this in just a moment. But again, I want you to picture this. Here they are. They see Jesus go up into heaven. And I know you're not here to laugh with me. or I, you know, I like to act this stuff out in front of you. And so they see Jesus going to heaven. There's the angels. And they're just like, I mean, they, I just imagine they're just kind of stuck there. And the angels are like, why are you staring up here? He told you what to go do. Don't get stuck standing here looking up, and this is what can happen to a lot of us as Christians, is because we get so overwhelmed with all the information that's coming to us, you know, through the internet, through TV, all the media that's coming to us through our phones, TV, all the tablets that we have, and we can almost kind of just get paralyzed in the moment where all we're getting is all this information all the time, and it's overwhelming us, and we just kind of get stuck, especially when you put people in their homes for seven weeks. I mean, all of y'all, I'm sure, are now legit Twitter experts, right? Like, you know all the data, and you've quoted it all to your friends. I've been doing the same thing. But if we're not careful, we can get so overwhelmed with all this information, and we just kind of get paralyzed by it, and we kind of just get transfixed and stuck in this moment where, where we're just kind of caught with our, our mouth, you know, to the floor, like, this is, a, this is crazy, and we just kind of get in this moment where it paralyzes us. And here's why I think it's so important. The disciples responded in the same way that we need to respond, and this is what I want us to focus on. Look at verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, Mount of Olives, we would say, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered... They went up to the upper room where they were staying. Now, hang me with you here. I'm going to give you just a little bit of geography. In fact, we're going to put it here on the screen with me just to kind of show you what I'm talking about. 
But I need you to understand kind of a little bit of the geographical layout. You know, you have the Temple Mount on the top of the, you know, which was Mount Moriah. So you got the temple on the top. And then to the east of that is the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives is where, again, Jesus ascended. So they go up from the Mount of Olives. We're at the base of the Mount of Olives. Before you get through the Kidron Valley and come up to the Temple Mount is the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus prayed the night he was betrayed. So a lot of stuff happens on the east side of the Temple Mount, in between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives. And so when they leave the Mount of Olives and they come back down through, the Bible says it's a Sabbath day's journey, about a half a mile. They come back down through the valley. They go back up into Jerusalem. And right there you can see is the eastern wall. That's the eastern side of the Temple Mount. This photo actually I took myself when I was there in Jerusalem last November. And right on the top of the eastern wall was a section. It's not there now, but it was called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Portico. Now we know that part is on the eastern part of the wall of the Temple Mount. And we know that the disciples hung out there quite often. In fact, they are there in Acts chapter 3. They're there in Acts chapter 5. In fact, Jesus taught them there quite often. Now, there's some debate whether or not that place actually is what's called the upper room. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, we didn't visit this when we were there, but there's a place outside the city on the western, kind of the southwestern part of the Temple Mount that is thought to possibly be the upper room. They don't know for sure because of all the things that have happened there historically over the last couple thousand years. But I tend to believe, and again, this is, I can't say for a fact, I tend to believe that the upper room is right there on that eastern side of the mount uh, or of the temple mount where Solomon's porch was or Solomon's portico because that's where they'd been hanging out quite a bit. And the reason why that's significant is this. On the eastern side in between the temple mount and the Mount of Olives, there's a lot of things biblically that happened. In fact, in the Holy of Holies, when they would do two things, when they would have the scapegoat and they would put the sins of the people on the goat and they would send the goat out, the goat would go out through the eastern gate, go out over the Mount of Olives into the wilderness. So he would go out through the east and then he would cross the Mount of Olives. And that's why a lot of people believe that when Jesus was crucified, he was actually led out from the Temple Mount to the east and was actually crucified on the Mount of Olives and buried there. Again, there's kind of three different sites where people believe that Jesus may have been crucified and buried. We don't know for sure. But I, again, I might tend to believe that it happened at the east because it's significant. Another reason why that's significant, you can read this in Numbers chapter 19, when they would sacrifice the red heifer, uh, Numbers 19 tells us that would happen on the Mount of Olives because you would have to sacrifice that and be able to see back into the Holy of Holies, which would have come from the Mount of Olives, looking back to the Temple Mount. So it's significant to me that when Jesus ascended, they go back to that area and they're praying. It's also significant because in Ezekiel chapter 44, there's a prophecy that says the Eastern Gate will be shut and no one can enter into it except for the coming prince, the coming Messiah. And the prophecy is that he will land, he will come back, just like the angel said, where he ascended, he will come back on the Mount of Olives and he'll enter into Jerusalem through the eastern 
gate. Now, here's what's even crazier. In the Ottoman Empire, when they were ruling over Jerusalem for 400 years in the 1500s, they knew this prophecy, so they sealed off the eastern gate. And they were a Muslim empire, and out in front of that eastern gate, and you can see it in the photo. You can't remember, you can go just Google it. They put a cemetery. There's a Muslim cemetery out in the front of the eastern gate. And the reason why they did that is because they thought no Jewish holy man would walk through a cemetery of dead bodies to enter into the Holy of Holies or what was where the Holy of Holies were. So there's a lot of significant things biblically that happened on the Eastern Gate. So again, I'm, I'm tend to inclined to believe that when they went back, that's where they were gathering. And here's why that's so important. I'll point it out in just a second. But it's so important because everything is happening right there. It's all happening right there. Now, what do they do right there? Look at this. It says, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. Verse 14, this is the part I want you to see. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So again, not for sure that that's where the upper room is, but if it's on the Eastern wall in Solomon's porch where they were praying, they were devoting themselves to prayer, devoting themselves to prayer. Now, don't miss this. When I said that we don't need to kind of get stuck just standing and looking, we need to devote ourselves to kneeling and praying. Here's why. I want to read you this quote from Billy Graham. I don't have it on the screen, but you can just listen. He says, in order to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. Let me say it again. In order to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. Man, our nation has been knocked down. I mean, almost 30 million people filing unemployment greater than the Great Depression. Everything that has happened within our country, not just economically, but socially, physically, spiritually. We talked last week about the greatest disease there is, is not COVID-19. It is spiritual blindness. All the things that are happening in our world. And we're also quick to get it back, right? To restore, to get everything back. And if we're not careful, we can bypass the most important step. And that is not standing up and looking. It is kneeling down and praying. And so as we talk about this, we believe campaign and what we believe and how important it is for us to speak, we need to understand something. Nothing great will happen unless we pray. So here's what we're calling our church to do. We're calling our church as a part of this season to pray. And God had been putting that on my heart already. I didn't know exactly what it looked like, but I've talked about this quite often. We're a part of a church planning network here in Atlanta, and it's just expanded and grown. And now we're a part of multiple next networks, New Thing Network, Sin Network. And, and, and we've been praying as pastors on Thursday mornings. And just in our prayer time as pastors, we all felt this need. Man, we have to come together as churches and networks to pray. And so that's what we're doing. In fact, starting today, May 3rd, we are going to pray and we talked about, okay, does this 40 days, what does this look like? And, and Brian Beloy, the pastor of Westridge Church that started our church, said he wanted to call this the 404 initiative because that's a popular era code here in Atlanta. And so here's what we're doing. All of us as churches, all right, we're just going to come together every day at 404, 404 p.m., and we're going to pray. 
We're going to pray for at least four minutes. Again, we want you to pray longer than that, but at least four minutes every day at 4.04 p.m. starting today. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's cool. We're talking about, hey, we do this for 40 days. And I said, well, you know what? The last Sunday of the month is May 31st, last day of the month, and it is Pentecost Sunday. It's Pentecost Sunday. Now, don't miss this. Here we are talking about Acts chapter 1. We're about to get into Acts chapter 2 where it says on the day of Pentecost. See, the day of Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. The word Pentecost literally means 50th. And so between now, today, May 3rd until May 31st, we're going to set aside time, not just as our church. Here's what's so cool. But over 50 churches in Atlanta, and now it's gone beyond just Atlanta, Detroit, Boston, other church planning networks are all coming together to pray. Just like the disciples, we're in one accord because it's not Revolution Church or North Metro Church or Cross Point City Church or Westridge Church. It's the church. It's the people of God being together in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. And so we're going to take time over these next, I think it's four and a half weeks, five Sundays to pray. So we're just calling our church to pray during this time. You can log on to social media at 404 every day. There'll be a simple prayer from the pastors in this network. We'll just post up videos from pastors. I'll record one. It'll go on there, but then we'll have other pastors. And so you're going to get to see and hear from other pastors here in Atlanta where we're all working together because we all want the same thing. And here's what we want. Listen to me. It's not just for our churches to get back together. What we want is for God to move in a miraculous way. What we want is for God to draw all nations to himself, like we talked about last week, which is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. Look at this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, again, so don't miss this, the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Again, I believe that's Solomon's porch there on the eastern side. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Again, it could be a house. It could be this place. But verse 3, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were, don't miss this, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. But don't miss that Jesus said it would happen. And then they spent that time before it happened in prayer. Again, so often we want a mighty move of God, but we're not willing to devote ourselves to prayer. We want to be filled with the spirit. We want to speak and see people come to Jesus, but we're not willing to devote ourselves in prayer. And so if we want to see what happens in Acts chapter two, we've got to do what they did in Acts chapter one. But what is it that happened in Acts chapter two? Here's what's amazing. Again, I don't have time to get into all of this. But the Holy Spirit fills them, and they start speaking. Now, we don't know if they were actually speaking in the other languages or if they were speaking something that they didn't know they were saying. But what we do know is that the people listening to what they were saying heard in their own languages. Look at this in verse 5. It says, now, they were dwelling, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And the word their language or tongues means known languages. 
This is why I'm tending to, I tend to think that it was at the Mount because that's where they all would have been gathered for the festival of Pentecost or the festival of weeks. So literally thousands of people show up at the sound of the Holy Spirit rushing down and all these disciples speaking and they're all hearing them in their own language. And here's what's amazing. What's amazing is this is a reverse of what happened in Genesis chapter 11. Now, you may not know what happened in Genesis chapter 11, so I'm just going to give you a kind of quick history recap here, all right? In Genesis, after the flood, most people know about the flood, but after the flood, God starts over with Noah and his family, and he gives them the same command that he gave Adam and Eve to go and multiply, but the people of that time said, we don't want to multiply. We don't want to scatter, scatter. We want to gather. And so what they did in chapter 11 of Genesis is they gathered together and they said, I got a good idea. Let's build a big tower. And they called it the Tower of Babel. And the reason why the Tower of Babel is in the town of Babylon or the area of Babylon, which is modern day Iraq, which is why that is the kind of the foe of the, the godly people, the Jewish people forever. And so they build this tower of Babel and they said, we don't want to follow God. We don't want to do what he said. We don't want to scatter. We want to stay together. We want to build a big tower to honor ourselves. We don't want to honor him. We want to honor ourselves. So that's what they do. And then God sees it. He squashes the tower, which amazingly, you can go look this up online. They believe they found the ruins of the tower of Babel in modern day Iraq. And then God does this. He says, I'm going to destroy their tower. I'm going to disperse them and I'm going to confuse their languages. So don't miss this. One people, one language, glorifying themselves. God says no. He scatters them, gives them all different languages. You want to know where all the languages of the world came from? All the people of the world came from, all the countries of the world, Genesis chapter 11. But what we see in Acts chapter 2 is the reverse of that. God is bringing all those nations and languages back to one place. He's bringing all those people and languages and nations back. And this time, he's reconciling them not judging them. He's reconciling them to himself because the payment for their sins had been paid in Christ. So in Acts chapter two, you see a reversal of Genesis chapter 11, where God calls the nations back to himself. Don't miss the significance of this. The Bible's going to tell us, look at this. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They're from the north part of Israel and Galilee. And then it says this, and how is it that we hear each one in his own native language? And then it lists out these nations. Verse 9. I'm going to do my best to, to say them. So don't judge me, all right? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, uh, that word, and uh, the other word, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Now listen to this. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking, saying that they were filled with new wine. When we get back into Romans in a few weeks, we'll, we'll talk about new wine. All right, we'll talk about that and what that looks like. But I don't want you to miss this. What happened is God draw, drew all nations to himself to reconcile them back from what happened in Genesis chapter 11, all these nations of the earth, and they heard the gospel, the mighty works of God in their own language. Because God, through the miracle 
of Pentecost through the power of the Holy Spirit used common, ordinary people like you and me who had just devoted themselves to prayer. And that's what I want us to see. Church, again, we're in a unique season and time in history, and I get that and I know that. But it's really pointless for us to sit around, to just get all the information and data that we can and, and just keep staring up into the sky and trying to read the stars and read the signs. That's pointless and really ultimately fruitless if we use that as a way to undermine our real mission of speaking. But we will never have power in our speaking if we're not praying. So again, I love the quote from Billy Graham. If you want our nation to get back on its feet, then we better get down on our knees. And so that's why we're calling our church to this time of prayer. We're calling our church and all the churches in the Atlanta area to pray. So I want you to set an alarm on your clock, 404 every day and pray, and we'll give you more information about it. But I want you to really pray. Another quote that I read from Leonard Ravenhill said, quit playing and start praying. I love that. Man, quit playing. Quit wasting your time listening to all the experts on Twitter. And go to the expert. Get on our knees and pray and seek God. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Pray and humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways. And he will hear. And he will hear. He'll. He did it there in Acts chapter 2. He'll do it again. He'll reconcile all nations to himself. And we've never had a better time to speak to all nations because they're listening. They need hope. They need to know what we know. But we'll never have the courage. We'll never have the power to do it if we don't have a prayer life backing up that speech. So the miracle happened in the translation of the tongues. Literally. I mean, I... I I mean, there was 120 people there. So I don't know if that's 120 languages, but it was a lot. And God was saying, I'm moving in a miraculous way. Why? Because you can't stop me. And again, this is why I think it's so significant that it was on the east side of the Temple Mount. And everything happened in that interaction, in that corridor. And Jesus is going to return on the east side of the Mount of Olives. And he is going to walk through like Ezekiel 44 says. Doesn't matter if the gate's shut. Doesn't matter if there's a cemetery in front of him. Nothing can stop our God. And that's why I love biblical prophecy. And you see God working in miraculous ways. And I want you to understand that God can do an Acts chapter thing, Acts chapter two thing again, if we as the church will do an Acts chapter one thing. If we will devote ourselves to prayer, if we'll quit wasting time trying to look up into the sky and figure everything out that's going on and say, you know what? I don't need to know. The Father has fixed that. What I do know is he's given me a mission and that mission will lack power if I'm not praying. We know that. So let's do that. Let's be a church that prays. This is why I wanted to start this message again. Praying. Because we want to be a people who devoted themselves to prayer. And again, I've said it before. Man, I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. I struggle with praying. Because I'm a person that likes to get things done. But I've realized in my life, you know what? If I do it, I can get the power of what I can do. But if I pray and then do it, I get the power of what God can do. 
And what God can do is an Acts chapter two thing where 3,000 people come to Christ in one day from all nations, reversing a curse of thousands and thousands of years. So you may be here today and you don't know Christ. And God may be speaking to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of this message. And you may be asking yourselves, we hear the mighty works of God. Well, you need to do the same thing that they did in Acts chapter two. Repent, trust Christ. But there may be some of you here that, again, you're a part of the church and you're saved and you know Jesus. But if you were honest, you've been wasting a lot of time over the last seven weeks trying to figure out when things are gonna return instead of getting on your knees and praying and saying, God, I don't wanna return if you're not in it. I want you to do something new. I don't wanna go back. I want you to do something new. I want you to save people. And that's why we're, as a church, again, coming together. I don't know if we're gonna to meet together by Pentecost Sunday, but here's what I know. God can work miracles between now and Pentecost Sunday. And even if we don't meet on Pentecost Sunday, we're gonna pray until Pentecost Sunday for God to do miracles like he did at that Pentecost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you enacted a plan from Genesis 3 to save us. And even when generations disobeyed you, like at the Tower of Babel, and you spread out the nations of the earth and confused their languages, it didn't thwart your plan. It just set it up for a miracle. And so God, I pray for those people that are listening to this, like we talked about last week, and they think there's no way that God could save me. God, we believe that anyone can be a new creation in Christ. So God, if there is somebody here today listening to this message and they are hearing about the mighty works of God for the first time, then that's an act of the Spirit drawing them, opening their eyes, overcoming their blindness. And God, I pray that you would enable them to respond in faith and be saved. And again, as I say often, right there where you are, don't, looking around, or if you can, just for a moment, block out distractions and ask yourself this question. Do you have hope that even though you die, you shall live? Because Christ is your Messiah. He's your Savior. And if you haven't trusted in him today, you can. And you can know that you'll be raised from the dead together with him. So if you don't know Jesus, you can't know that. But today you can know Jesus. So if that's you, if you want to pray and trust Christ right there where you are, you can pray with me. It can be out loud if you want to. It doesn't have to. It's really not even about a magical prayer. I'm just helping you pray and confess. And it goes like this. You can say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Now, if you just prayed to trust Christ today, we want to know about it. Again, we've been talking about it. Throughout the service, you can text 
Revolution to the number on your screen and we'll have a way for you to connect with us and give us your information so we can follow up with you. But then those of you that you've trusted Christ, and again, maybe you're a part of our church or maybe you've just been watching online, but you can pray. I want you to join us for this 404 prayer initiative. Every day at 4.04 p.m., the city of Atlanta, we're gonna be praying. Churches together in one accord, praying. Not in competition, man. That's what's amazing about this network. It's not a competition, it's a collaboration. We're all coming together one accord and we're gonna devote ourselves to prayer. Because if we want this nation to stand back on its feet, then we better get down on our knees and not stand up on its feet in some kind of military might but to truly be great because the nation turned back to Christ. And so as a church, that's what we're praying for. We're praying for God to do a miracle just like he did in Acts chapter two. And the miracle is somebody trusting Christ. All nations being drawn to himself. God reconciling the world to himself. And so let's take these next five Sundays, these next four and a half weeks, and let's devote ourselves to prayer, church not just at 4.04 p.m., but however God leads you, but at least at 4.04 p.m. for four minutes. Father, we ask you to move. God, here we are, the first Sunday in May, 2020, and we're staring down the barrel of a pandemic, but we know that Pentecost is coming on May 31st. We know the Pentecost Sunday is coming. And we know what you did on Pentecost 2,000 years ago. When people were trying to get their nation restored, you moved in a miraculous way and birthed something that they never saw coming called the church. God, that's what we want. We don't want to just go back or get back to normal. We don't want normal. We want supernatural We want miracles. We want miraculous things where men are coming back to Christ from all nations. We don't want to play games. We don't want to live 80 years in nice houses and waste our life. What is that about? God, wake us up to the reality that there's so much more going on than what we can see. You're moving in miraculous ways. And thank you that you brought this to wake us up. And I pray that we would, we would wake up as a church and we would get down on our knees. We wouldn't waste time staring up and trying to figure things out. We would just trust you with it. We would get down on our knees and we would fight in prayer. And so God, again, we're coming to you in Jesus' name, asking you to do what you've done from day one, and that is reconcile people. So Father, we're asking you to move in Atlanta and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.